Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin. Hello there, and welcome to episode 48 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you live to air from cool, overcast, suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's not quite fall yet here in southern Ontario, but uh, what it is, is September 6th, 2019. I believe the, uh, is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. I kind of lose track. I believe it's the 12th Sunday. When's the Friday after the 12th Sunday after Pentecost. I kind of lose a little bit of track, I'll be honest with you. Um, but don't lose track of the days. What I did lose track of was doing my uh, Fan Expo Sunday check-in. I'll get to that in a second, but first joined by R2-D2. If you can hear him there, he's a bit off to the side, but, uh, you know, hopefully... He'll make a presence and, of course, glass of water. All right. Got that going. So, uh, do Fan Expo check-in and then yet another response to Beltway Bantha's episode. But this is going to be a weird thing. This is a few things I wanted to just comment on my own experience being on Beltway Bantha's. And, so, well, more some things I just wanted to flesh out a little more. So... True to form, this this podcast is, if you're familiar with with what I've done in the past, a bit more like the uh, Rogue episodes, but uh, I've retired the distinction between Rogue episode and main episode, and coming on here and saying what I'd like to talk about. And so, uh, the first thing, uh, the Sunday check-in at Fan Expo only went to one panel that day. I was uh, mostly with my mom hanging out, walking around the floor, getting some more of the impromptu shopping in. Um, had done most done all my shopping by Friday, but got some more things. I, I let myself do more impulse buys at the con, and so I did that on Saturday, Sunday. Um, so Sunday, I did only, I did go to one panel, and it is relevant. Went to Young Adult, uh, yeah, of course it's relevant. Went to Young Adult Fiction for Everyone, basically why why adults should read Young Adult Fiction. And I did that with the mind of understanding, okay, what's compelling about Claudia Gray and Kate Johnston and the amazing Young Adult contributions to Star Wars canon specifically. And... What and there are two things that stood out from that panel that I can recall from a few weeks ago. Um, first is there the panelists, the two young adult authors in in Toronto, and they raised the concern that people are or authors are or not just authors. It's probably uh, publishers and publishing execs execs saying just write an adult story with complex adult situations. And of course kids can handle that. Young adults can handle that teenagers. So, you know, just downgrade down, age them down a little, say they're seven, 16, 17 and slap the young adult label on them and on it and get, you know, you can tap into the, the craze from twilight and hunger games and even Harry Potter to some extent. Um, 
you know, there, there are other series that I haven't actually read, but the the marketing fate marketing craze that began with those series and uh, register that concern because it's a marketing tactic. It, it's to get the cha-ching, the moolah in. You just get the YA, uh, YA label on there. And the reason it was a main reason it's a concern is a marketing tactic that forgets what young adult, the young adult genre, set of genres is about, the young adult category, if you will, is about. And uh, what it is about is uh, looking into how young people really live, what they really care about, how they tick. And by that, I mean actual teenagers. Um, and the, the point that sticks out most to me is when you're at that age, everything is urgent. Everything is emotionally heightened because you're still sorting out what you really care about and what really matters to you and who you are and what who you want to be in the world. And... Yes, that's an ongoing process for everyone throughout their lives, but it really gets pressed from the get-go, at least in our culture, with the the onset of adolescence. And that's a really makes for really incredible storytelling, um, as we saw with Leia, Princess of Alderaan, for example, and of course Lost Stars, as we saw with with Ahsoka and Padme, or Padme's handmaidens. Uh, that is really at the heart of what Star Wars is, of this first step into a larger world. And so the concern, just back to back up, is all these stories don't really do that. They have they show it, it, it's a, a fake <laughs> misnomer label trying to sell books. But that's the first point. But then the second point being the reason it's compelling drama for anyone to read and anyone to engage with because it wrestles with those questions of character and of motivation that are very raw and on the surface. And um, yeah, we, uh, and that helps really explain the appeal in, in a compelling way and not explain in terms of explain away, but helps describe why, these books by Claudia Gray and Kate Johnson specifically are so compelling. Um, and so that, that was helpful to understand. It made me think of, again, bringing up the MCU again, uh, why the two Spider-Man films and the MCU Spider-Man films are so compelling, right? The previous uh, iterations of Spider-Man films he was a little older. It was more older concerns, maybe a little bit down, aged down. It, it illustrates this this problem. Whereas with the MCU, Tom Holland Spider Man, they're so compelling because the characters are real teenagers. They really have the same struggles and emotional hormonal changes going on, and. What it illustrates also then is why young adult science fiction and superheroes are so compelling is because 
one of the things the panelist said was, you know, the the day to day circumstances, you know, of dating and <laughs> finding, you know, of, of high school social life and uh, identity and career and those things that are get really pressed. And then with Spider Man, you have, uh, you know, the Spider Man Homecoming. You also have a guy in a massive weaponized suit trying to do some shady business. Or in Far From Home, you have this threat of a multiverse in these massive creatures. And so uh, things that feel like the end of the world, even though as a, as a more mature adult knows they necessarily aren't really. <laughs> and then things that maybe literally are the end of the world that we get in sci-fi scenarios. And so bringing those two together with Leia and the empire and the rebellion, right? She has the normal day to day. I'm not my parents. Well, I'm not going to be under my parents shadow already heightened by the fact that she's training to be the next monarch of Alderaan. And then she sees what her parents are really up to in this rebellion against the Empire, which, sad to say, you know, the, the Empire itself becomes literally the end of her world. Literally. Too soon, Alderaan. <laughs> the Death Star. But she has the sense of, of just how evil the Empire is and then how important this rebellion is. And... You know, Bale tries to protect her from it, and he can't because she's figuring out how to be her own person and finds her way into the, the base on Crate and <laughs> and all that that happens, and I won't spoil too much. Um, but ultimately, uh, it comes to the point where you see in Rogue One where he trusts her with his life to... You know, the family bond that they have. Of course, it's an adoptive family. Still just as real much, real a family bond, very much. Um, that he, he trusts her both relationally and operationally. Of course, Slea is, is a bit older. She's 19 at this point. But Claudia Gray shows us the process. Shows us how... She comes through that and comes to that point, and how Bale Bale comes to that point too. Um, it's interesting. My dad always says it takes a lifetime to raise a parent, <laughs> and part of the drama of young adult coming of age stories are how the parents and the world around them adapts to these new decisions that these kids are making. Sometimes adapting well, sometimes adapting not so well. So it was an interesting panel. I didn't, yeah, there was there wasn't too much else that happened at Fan Expo. Um, you know, I, I didn't see uh, Sean Aston was there that day. Jeff Goldblum was there, then hopped on a plane, then went to D twenty three. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that. But does it for Fan Expo wrap up? I will say, again, it was a fun con. Good to be with people. 
um, they really need to sort out this whole cancellation problem. And it's a it's a problem with that con. They tried to do it not on the same weekend as Dragon Con in Atlanta, which was this past weekend. Actually, it turns out probably would have been better if they had. So that the big names could come maybe Thursday, Friday, and then go down to Atlanta Saturday, Sunday. Um, similarly, I don't know if I'll be able to go to Fan Expo next year because I'm going to Star Wars Celebration. I think I may have mentioned that. That's exciting. Um, hopefully, uh, yeah. Well, not hopefully. I am going. <laughs> I got my ticket. Um, I will you know, hopefully be able to meet up with people there and yeah, spread the word about this podcast. Hopefully it's still going strong by then. So, uh, looking forward to that. Okay. Water and R2. Oh. There we go. He came out to play. Well, I was making sure here. So, oh, I guess he got a bit of a, a dent from the packing. Oh, dirt. Sorry, guys. I'm just uh, noticing... He survived, he survived the trip from, from Alberta. Okay. So, I've on a few time, few occasions, Beltway Bantha's great podcast um, has had some episodes that have been up my alley in terms of the Star Wars theology religion crossover. It's mainly, it's, it is a Star Wars and political crossover podcast. And, so that's why uh, I, I, I've said this multiple times. Oh, my thanks to Stephen and Suara for for creating their podcast. And it's definitely one of my favorite going. I had the uh, opportunity to come on, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago. Um, I should say, so they, they, they ended the podcast and then just recently Stephen... Uh, Stephen Kent has brought it back and um, I'm really excited for that clearly and then yeah so he he had me come on and talked about a video that really and I'll, I'll link the that episode in the in the description here but a video that related the current you can say it caught a crisis current opposition to Lucasfilm, Disney, and the new the new Star Wars canon, especially the new the sequel trilogy, with the Reformation and the Protestant Reformation, and especially the point of contact being that the printing press had the same uh, had a very similar effect to the way the internet does now, and the way people on YouTube like right now having a podcast and and being able to give my two cents and um it was good to start into that there are a few more things i want to just take the time to say now and clarify um i know that maybe not the most professional way to do it I've, i'm past the whole i don't know if any of you get this way but the whole freaking out oh i wish i said that wish i said that wish i said that i'm not that i'm i'm waited long enough after uh to to do that um but i do want to clarify so one of the things that's obviously not a parallel that steven mentioned is there isn't going to be any sort of formal schism 
in the way there was with with ultimately the followers of Luther and Calvin um, that I mean we have I mean the the equivalent would be uh, if just say imagining um, there was this large mass of disgruntled fans who think no we're gonna just break away and say this thing that we create now is authentically Star Wars and uh, they would get in a whole heap of trouble if they tried to start having a massive following and selling merchandise and selling media basically fan fiction as if it were Star Wars because there's this little thing called intellectual property what it would need to happen of course then is they need to find some jurisdiction in which they be protected from Lucasfilm's intellectual property. That's not going to happen. But it gets at what uh, I guess a, a more important thing I want to say here is an, a, the major difference between Luther's time and now. I said that Luther himself was never trying to create a schism. He was really trying to do what the, the, the classic term is guys all small returning to the sources ad fontes things that also happened at Vatican II and in a way at Trent and um, looking back to scripture looking back to the church fathers um, and saying they hadn't developed the sense of indul the this belief in indulgences and this mechanical belief in getting to heaven um, the problem is that Luther and his views were so uh, beyond the pale of what the established tradition had become at the time, both in terms of what the doctrine of purgatory what had been established as, um, what... Uh, you know the 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 what indulgences were then within that, but also how papal authority had grown in, as the tradition over time. He was so counter to that that uh, he was tried as a heretic and kicked out, and there was some sense that ultimately he could live with that. And definitely his followers could live with that and Calvin and others. I make a point of his followers then because a major difference between then and now is. I mentioned in, on that podcast, the, the lead there, there were very strong, clear leaders of this reformation who were part of the educated elite, part of the system that was actually tasked with theological reflection on the most important things we believe as Christians, right? We're talking about Erasmus, who never actually was never in a state of schism, was never condemned as a heretic, but Luther himself, of course, and then Calvin, Melanchthon, Bucer, Cranmer. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting a few people. Zwingli, <laughs> you know, all these great names were very well educated. And 
yes, everyone had the means through the printing press to disseminate what they thought. But these these people, these figures, had the authority and the the weight and the, the intellectual rigor to actually articulate this alternative view that did end up leading many people, you know, creating a large enough following to create this critical mass that led people away from full communion with, with the Roman Catholic Church. Um, or led to the schism, right, I should say. Because I want to be clear, before that, the idea of schism was, as I said, unthinkable. It was, why, why would you so deviate from the established order? Because that's just the way the world worked. And, uh, as I said, multiple things happened. So, Luther's view was so beyond the pale. He was, you know, died of Worms. I believe the Diet of Worms, yes, condemned as a heretic. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong if that's where it was, but the, his, his trial, condemned as a heretic. And normally, at that time, if you're condemned as a heretic, you're stripped of your your clergy rank, clerical rank. Then you can be, then you're then arrested and burned at the stake as a heretic and executed because it's a, it's the sense of purging a disease from their midst. Believe that, what about that as you want. But that was the belief at the time. Of course, that requires a civil authority to then arrest Luther, uh, try him, or, or just accept the, the church's verdict and burn him at the stake. But of course, that didn't happen, right? Frederick III, the elector of Saxony, who was a just a high up official and, and remained Catholic. He believed that Luther didn't get a fair trial and also had some Lutheran sympathies. He was also a politician and said, Oh, here's an opportunity an opportunity in a lot among a lot of German princes saw this and said, German leaders or up ups in, in their, there's, Republics or city-states, rather, or their component parts of the Holy Roman Empire, I should say. Here's an opportunity for independence, right? And so what then happened was Frederick III protected Luther from the Holy Roman Empire, from the Pope, from being arrested and executed. And that was enough then for him to translate his Bible into German, to create this this following and Calvin in Geneva creating you know, a free state a free city uh, under his own leadership so you had these political things happening that also allowed for a schism and that culminates in the Thirty Years War and the Treaty of Augsburg and the uh, the religion of the prince is the religion of the people this sense that the, the or this acceptance on the part of of the the church's hierarchy that this just isn't worth it right now um, all the the violence and bloodshed that did occur on the continent um, and so the situation both ecclesially and politically gets gets normalized gets ossified into this 
situation of state churches that are state Protestant churches, right? So that's especially the case, would be especially the case in England, in Sweden, um, ultimately in the Holy Roman Empire, where these different churches end up merging uh, together, working together, ultimately in the the what's the Evangelical Church of Germany. And this is when, after Germany is established, a couple of centuries later. But it's interesting how you know Bavaria and Austria remain very Catholic. Uh, France, of course, remained Catholic. What we have then is a situation again where we have these different state churches with these different states. And what I'm getting at here is this is also the birth of the nation-state system that we have that is now being eroded after during for during globalization. So all that to say is, I mean, that was my way in to say, um, I don't see anything like that happening. I don't see anything, any sort of great leadership on the part of these disgruntled fans. Um, creating a massive following. I think they're creating some followers. They do get lots of views. I don't know how many views of the, those views are sympathetic. I think by and large, two things is that, like I said, we see the, the, the scenes from D23 in Star Wars Celebration and how the Celebration tickets, I got in there under the wire. <laughs> the, the tickets were sold out within how many minutes? we see uh, just a, a general excitement that uh, with Disney Plus coming out and The Mandalorian and all this other content, we're all looking to Lucasfilm still. And yes, it's true in the parallel that a lot of people look to Rome. I think the, just the scale and the scope of uh, where things are at I mean, maybe I could say it's too soon to tell. That feels like a cop-out answer in terms of the Star Wars fandom. Just like, you know, by the middle of the 16th century, it might have still been too soon to tell. Um, it's only been a few years. I think the second thing to point out, though, is if there is a parallel then there may be a so what what the at the core of the question is there a legitimation crisis right and my main answer is no there's really there are again there are a few pockets of people and i have encountered them but another thing you know i realize i'm gonna get to the real world par the church parallel in a second is that if there's a legitimation crisis, it's only in the minds of these people who feel alienated by, especially the last Jedi. Um, right. And, and for various reasons and sure. Okay. That, you know, they, does that constitute sure, that they don't believe that you know, Lucasfilm is authentically carrying on star Wars as it currently is. That's fine. I don't think it counts as a crisis for Lucasfilm from their standpoint, right? 
They're still going to rake it in. There's everyone's still looking to them. Another thing, interestingly, that happened in the last weekend, last weekend, or I guess it was, would have been last Saturday, last Friday, I went to, or I forget whatever day it was, I went to my, my old seminary and I uh, attended this event where there's a fairly prominent evangelical-ish, evangelical Anabaptist pastor uh, and he was is this this whole thing where more conservative reformed evangelicals had accused him of being a heretic because he didn't use the specific words that they like about the Bible inerrancy and uh, you know these these very narrow things and this is actually a preview in a way for my next episode that I think I'll do. Um, it struck me though that this pastor was actually had more in line in touch with the main line was being more open and expansive in his language and yet he was being the one being called a heretic and and the event was actually to clear that up and say no he's not really it's Let's understand each other better. And it was it was a good event. But I was just surprised that this very small group of people, frankly, off in the corner of the global church, was claiming that this other person who was not so much in the corner was actually the heretic. And that gets me to the question, what is heresy? And yes, there's a connection between heresy, and that's a, big, that's a bigger question, but between heresy as not believing in the truth <laughs> that is has been commonly accept, received through time, the key there to me is commonly received. And what has been commonly received through time is more expansive than any one little group off in the corner. And so... To me, to call someone else a heretic, if you're the one off in the corner, is to break yourself off. Right? This is what we get with the Donatist schism, right? Where uh, the Donatists were accusing people who had lapsed under persecution, saying that they couldn't come back in. And Augustine and, and Cyprian and them said, no, wait, we got to be more welcoming and expansive they're willing to come back to the faith we can't deny that we're in this era and maybe this was always the case where the disgruntled minority in accusing others of heretics of heresy becomes very schismatic themselves and in that sense heretical themselves because it's about what is commonly received and commonly understood. I know that's a bold claim, and I don't want to emphasize it too much, but we're in an era of, yeah, the again, the online with Lucasfilm, the, these online where it's prosumers, those who say, I'm not even going to go watch The Last Jedi or watch... The Rise of Skywalker, not going to get 
Disney Plus and watch anything else that comes out, you're the one cutting yourself off. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and that's, you know, frankly, that's Kathleen Kennedy. And, well, frankly, that, that's that's your problem. Right? Kathleen Kennedy and Justin Bolger. And I know I could be more sensitive about this, but I just want to be clear if you're not willing to engage if you're not willing to listen to what people are saying, what people other people care about, you know, if you're going <laughs> to buy inerrancy or Luke must ignite the green, whatever word, whatever is happening, you know, Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy, and I don't know why I said Justin Boulder. He just works for Lucasfilm. Uh, the story group and them, they can say, okay, go your merry way. That's fine. It's not really going to affect us very much, to be blunt. If you are going to be part of the conversation, then yes, you can share your what you don't like about The Last Jedi, and that may be taken into account, right? I don't think necessarily one little voice here or there, maybe, but it's the fandom conversation. And what I do see from Lucasfilm, they've actually done a very good job of taking that conversation seriously, including people who dislike The Last Jedi, but are still willing to be part of the conversation, right? Still willing to give Rise of Skywalker a chance and be excited about it. See it as authentically Star Wars, right? That's you have a seat at the table by acknowledging the legitimacy of the table in the first place. If you don't acknowledge the legitimacy of the table, then can you really complain about not having a seat at the table? I get that that metaphor exists in different ways for those who are socioeconomically disadvantaged. That's a whole other conversation I'm talking about primarily fairly well off white men. <laughs> and and white boys, teenage boys, um, who want to see want to see in Luke Skywalker the hero they think they are or they need to be feel they need to be, and to some extent, and I want to clarify one last thing. I've mentioned the question of violence and pacifism. Look, I, I talked about. Ignite the Green, Kick and Tar as not being the primary message of Star Wars. And I do believe that's true. What I want to recap, though, is doesn't the, the, the narrative of Star Wars doesn't necessarily allow for uh, that pacifist question of, of in the situation when you're being attacked, when there's a massive Death Star coming at you, can you you still have to roll over and take it and the narrative of star wars itself says no there is a place for just war and legitimate violence there is a place for death right death at the service of life and that is what balance of the force actually means <laughs> as we saw with ray and luke you know, in her vision on octo so, 
it's not that even Rose's statement, this isn't this is how we win, not by killing what we hate, but by saving what we love. Yes, sometimes saving what you love does mean you ignite the blue or ignite the green. But what's the purpose? What's the role? Are you aware, which Poe Dameron finally got, of the way that this kind of power can corrupt? Or does it become an end in itself? And that's what Ryan Johnson presses. That's what the notion the notion of heroism that comes out of the last jedi is the notion of heroism that was always present in the star wars saga is saving what you love taking action wisdom learning from failure to do better next time so hopefully that covers some things i wanted to get into um definitely was was good to be on Beltway Mantis. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I am willing to go on again anytime. <laughs> um, but for now, definitely looking forward to continuing on with For Christ's Sake Anakin and the conversation here. Uh, you can continue to look up the back issues at anchor.fm slash FCSA, where I believe I am on Spotify and a form was on Google Podcasts here. I mean, and however you found this podcast, well, welcome. <laughs> um, you can give me a follow on Twitter at NEUG485. And a follow on Instagram at MNEUG1138. This has been episode 48 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. Thanks for li- listening. May the Force be with you always. <laughs>